I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. Hi, Sadie. Hi, Audra. Um, I'm really excited to talk about Frankenstein. Uh, how are you today? I am doing really great. I am also very excited to talk about Frankenstein. This is the first time I've read it since I read it for a college course. Um, Me too. So it's just it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's, it's always fun. I like revisiting books that I've read before, um, especially classics, because I think it it's interesting to see how maybe like my perspective has changed as mm-hmm. well, which I think is um, one of the best things about rereading novels. And so this is just super fun. I had a lot of fun reading it. Yeah. I forgot how much I liked it and yeah. I forgot how, how, you know, I think the story for the most part is so well known, even though people often confuse it and think like Frankenstein is the name of the monster. Yeah. Um, instead of it being Dr. Frankenstein, but, but I mean, it's such a well-known story. And so I think you have something in your head of the novel of the story. And then you forget because the like elements of it are so noted. You forget just how well done it is. Like, I just mm-hmm. think it's so well written. I love the format. Um, I, it's the stories within the story is great. I just, it's a really, really, I love it. And I really think that you can just tell that it's written from this female perspective. I love yes. how Mary Shelley writes the female characters in her novel. Yep. I love, I just, I think she's great. And I, I love her story. I love how this story was started. Like, it's just, it's awesome all the way around. And I've kind of forgot about all of those things yeah. since I read it originally. So that was, yeah, that was really fun to like revisit. Well, and the story like, tends to get lost in... I guess like the pop culture aspect Mm -hmm. of it because it's been, you know, it's, this has been recreated in film or television, like something like over a hundred times or something. And so a lot of things that they think that people often think of when they think about the story are things that don't exist in the book at all. Whether, like you mentioned, it's whether or not the monster is called Frankenstein or as we see in the book, he's unnamed. Um, or even like, side characters that are in the sh- in the TV shows and in the movies that it has n- have no appearance in the book like Igor yeah. or technically I think his name is Felix or something but like um the hunchback who supposedly helps Dr. Frankenstein with his work and that just does not exist in the book and and instead I think what you get is um a much deeper kind of question of and and like different themes and deeper Mm -hmm. themes and um, just all in all, I think a better story. Yeah. It's a very sophisticated story and novel and yeah, it doesn't get enough credit for that because like you said, like the bare bones of it have been taken and then mutated around to the Mm -hmm. point where you don't even really understand the real, the real story. So yeah, this was good. Good choice. I'm happy we went with this. Me too. Me too. Um, well, before we get into it, let's give a little update on what we're doing next, because apparently October is not this like incredibly long month. It's the same (laughs) as all the rest. So we only have so much time. So even though there are 31 days in October, (laughs) we only have so much time to uh, read books and uh, record this for everybody. So um, instead of doing a whole bunch more of like halloween-ish horror novels mm-hmm. why don't you kind of fill everyone in on what we're going to do next yes so we are going to spend two uh episodes talking about this novel so in this episode we're going to cover um volumes one and two of the book and then in the next one we'll cover volume three and do a like a general wrap-up of the whole novel And then on the next episode after that, we are going to spend an episode covering a poem called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, which is one of my, I mean, it is actually my favorite poem of all time, Um, but it was published prior to this novel. So this this novel was first published in 1818, and I believe that um, Lyrical Ballads, which was the... um, booklet that that poem was originally published in was like 1798 or something. It was 
late so. late of 1700s um, but it is directly referenced in this in this book so it's very important and it's also one of the first books ever or first poems I should say um, ever that it, you know contained the supernatural and um, 1797 1797 oh good uh, published in 1798 yes in oh, okay. the first edition of lyrical ballads Awesome. Ba- ballards. Ballads. <laughs> nice. Um, which is one of, again, like one of the best poem collections of all time. It was between him and who was the other one? It was Samuel Taylor Coleridge and it was uh, one other poet. I can't remember his um, name. I don't remember either. Which uh, I don't know. I'll look it up. All right. Well, either way, um, we're just going to be focusing on that one. Wordsworth. Poem. Wordsworth. Wordsworth. Yes. Wordsworth. William Wordsworth. Okay. Awesome. I was thinking William Blake, but I was like, no, that's like, that's no, before. No, no, that's no. <laughs> that's before. Although Blake stuff's great too, but yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that was like kind of the beginning of romantic literature. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so that's, yeah, that's our plan. It's a good plan. Sadie's plan. I like it. Thank you. And then after that, we will be reading. Um, so my pick was The Power of the Dog by Thomas Savage. Um, it came out in the 60s. Um, it's kind of a Western, um, Ooh. from what I, I mean, I've never read it, but I've been wanting to read it and I've heard good things about it. And then there's a movie coming out with it. Um, Ooh. so that will be fun. Cause I kind of like when we can do watch their movies from the book. So that's my plan. So if you guys have not go pick up the 1818 version of Frankenstein <laughs> and get caught up with us so you can listen to these episodes. Um, like I said, or Sadie said, there'll be two. And then go pick up, um, I mean, you might as well just get, they have quite a few different collections of lyrical ballads with a few other poems. Um, mm-hmm. But somehow get a copy of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner so that you can be and it's, ready I mean, for that. Even if you don't purchase a copy, um, it's online. Like there's no doubt that you'll be able to find a copy of it online. Um, it is a long poem. So I do, I do really appreciate having like a printed out version of it. Um, Mm -hmm. but if you, you if you know, you, if you can't find a copy of lyrical ballads or if you're just kind of interested just in this single poem versus the collection, um, you can find it online, but I'm very excited to talk about it. Samuel Taylor Coleridge is again, one of my favorite poets and there are (sighs) things about that poem that I just want like tattooed all over my body. I just love it so much. Um, so I'm so excited to get into this. And yes, get the 1818 version of Frankenstein if you haven't already. We will be getting into in this episode, hopefully at the beginning, um, why we chose the 1818 version and why we think that's the one that you should go with. Um, so if you want to kind of hear about that, we'll try to talk to it at the beginning before we get like too deeply into spoilers. But also it's Frankenstein, so I don't think like anybody's really yeah, confused about how it spoil- ends. We're not spoiling anything. <laughs> yeah. It's um, been out for a long time. If you don't know already, you should just yeah, yeah, look it up. Yeah, deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you? What's your libation this evening? All right. So, Ryan kind of splurged and picked up some very good beers from the store this weekend. So I am drinking the Vahinstafena Pilsner from the world's oldest brewery. Nice. Um, it's like a Bavarian Pilsner. It's very good. It really is like, I think the oldest brewery that still exists. Um, and it is delicious. And I love saying the name, the Heinz Tafina. It's very fun you, to say. You said it very well. Yeah. I'm impressed. Very I nice. keep getting it mixed up with like the wine Gavetz Chavina, um, which mm. has like G's in it versus V's. But you know what? I'm proud of myself anyway. So yeah, good it's on good, you. Very, it's very good. What are you drinking? Um, so I made a Irish coffee. So oh. I'm cold. I've been cold all day. So I made some coffee and Yum. threw some whiskey in there. And it's simple. And but you know, it's it's doing the job. You know, and it's got a oh. cute little mug that I got from when we were in Maui. It's my cute. little cute. Yeah, there's this cute little store there. If you guys go to Maui, it's called Wings, and it's all local stuff. And they take. Um, they have clothes and jewelry, but then they take uh, like old dishes, mugs, plates, and then they like paint on it their logo, which is like a mermaid. I don't know. It's really cool. So it's very cute. I also love Irish coffee. So 
I do delicious. too. I really, yeah, I like hot drinks, hot alcoholic drinks, hot toddies, hot buttered rums, Irish coffees, just all of that. It's we, all good you stuff. know what I've been craving actually is that drink I made. Yes. <laughs> I know. I was going to make it. If I would have had time today before we recorded, I was going to, I was thinking about it all day. I was like, that's what we make, but I just didn't have time to make it. But I do need to make it again. I don't even remember what I did. Sugar, butter. I'll have to look it up I, again. I think we went over it in the episode. We'll just have to re, re-listen to the oh, episode or something. <laughs> yeah. That's from when you were here. It's when yeah. we did, um, uh, left hand of darkness, left hand darkness. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the second episode of Left Hand of Darkness is when we did it. Yeah, we made frosé yeah, for we, our first episode. Yeah, we started with the frosé and then we ended up nice and cozy with the warm butter wow, drink. Those were some good episodes. Those were those were good. Yeah. I'm proud of those. Me too. That All was right. a lot of fun. I'll have to make that I'll have to make that drink for part two. Send me the recipe so I can do it too. <laughs> I'll post. I'll post it. Okay, we'll put I'll it go on back the and Instagram. listen, and I'll send it to you and post. Yeah, put it on the gram. Okay. Um, okay. So I don't really feel like we need to give a summary, but I mean, basically, I'm not. We're not giving a summary. No, I mean, okay. Do, do I need to give a summary? Like this is the summary. Doctor Frankenstein creates a creature, runs away from his creation. Havoc is wrought. And then most of the characters die at the end. Yeah. That's there's pretty your, much... There's your summary. There's your summary. If, if, like, yeah, I don't feel like there even needs to be a summary. Honestly, like, the plot, it's important, but it it's also, I mean... Man creates shit and c- causes a mess. And can't handle People it. People die. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, like, just men are stupid, basically, is the moral of the novel. <laughs> <laughs> no direct no, no. your dm towards sadie directly on that one everybody <laughs> okay should we get into why we picked the 1818 yeah um well okay so let me talk about my let, let's talk about both of us because it was important to both of us and i think for like i i feel like mary shelley's story is so interesting mm-hmm. um and who she is you know so she was the daughter of famous radical writers and her mom died like right after she was born, like, I think. So it's not like she really birth, knew her I mom. Think. Yeah. Yeah. And um and she married Percy Bysshe Shelley when she was pretty young and he was became this famous poet. He wasn't famous when they met. Um and but anyway, she her mom was also a famous, like radical feminist writer. Yeah. And Mary had quite yeah, had quite quite an influence. Anyway, and so then the idea of the book Frankenstein came to to Mary when she was with Percy and Lord Byron was there and they all kind of talked about doing a ghost story competition. Um, and some other stories came out of it and Mary's fit, started her short story and then completed it back in England and published it as Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus in 1818. And since, I mean, you can go more into this, Sadie, but I think that the first version is so important because I think it fits true to why it was created. Like, mm-hmm. and I think it's such a great story. It's so, like, it's very, um, like, it keeps your attention. She formats it well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there isn't this moralistic message to it, even though there very easily could be. I mean, we're talking about creation. And if you think about the time when it was written, like, a lot of people had thoughts about it and it was not that well received when it was first published. Right. It's like, what you've written a story about, you know, man creating another yeah, being it's like, like in this way, like, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I think it's just so, in, I think we should read the version as it was intended with before people decided to censor it basically. Yeah. And she needed to. And then, so then in the other version, was it 1831, 31. Yeah. Then it's this version where she basically gives a moralistic, like, yes, this is wrong, you know, and, and makes all these references to, you know, other, other literature and the ideas of, you know, God and creation. And I just feel like it didn't need all that. And mm-hmm. just read it clean. Yeah. That's like my outlook on it. Like read it clean. <laughs> yeah. I agreed. She does that. And then she also, yeah, she kind of twists the morals a little bit with some of the main characters. Um, like she makes Victor, a little bit more um, 
she kind of gives the 1831 a more like fatalistic kind of atmosphere where it's it's less that victor like makes these decisions and more like fate almost brought him there and then also like weird stuff too um which i mean i guess i can see that it would be like a better more palatable answer to the question of like the character elizabeth but like elizabeth in the 1818 version is his cousin it's his first cousin and in the 1831 version she like adds a whole chapter where his mother like went and she found this poor family and they had like five girls and elizabeth is like the one blonde-haired blue-eyed out of this like which like and all the other kids are like dark hair dark eyes it's very weird and very kind of like um i never understood it's not that it was that uncommon no it's still like it still wasn't that uncommon in 1831 so it's a weird thing to add um but also there was like a lot of pressure too from publishers so this book was originally published in 1880 and 1818 1831 at that point like her husband has died she's lost various children she's just like in a very different place in her life and the publishers in order to try to make the 1831 version um seem like a must-have to readers was to embellish it and so she received a lot of pressure from her publishers to add more things into the intro um the preface and also to embellish things in the novel and change things in the novel. So again, like additional chapters or additional, just, just like even like sentences here and there, um, to try to make it seem like something people had to buy back then. Um, but also I think, I think that really like the main thing is that she adds a moral. She tacks on a moral at the end of it, which has like a lot of religious undertones that the 1818 Mm -hmm. version really does not have. The problem um, in the 1831 version is the fact that Victor is playing with what is considered like God's work or God's power by creating life. That's not really the issue at the base of the 1818 one, in my opinion. Um, It's more of how he reacts to that and what he does after it that is the problem. Right. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I think that the 1818 version just kind of in general, like, is just a more raw, um, interesting story. And it's just fascinating to read what, like, 16 to 18-year-old Mary Shelley kind of cooked up in her brain, um, you know, in this, like, stormy castle in Geneva. Like, it's just, it's very, it's such an interesting story. And she's such a fabulous writer. And with her history and then her age at the time of writing it, it just truly is just like astounding to read. And I think it's like important to keep again, like you said, like that base origin story of the novel's creation in mind when you read it, because I think it leads to me at least appreciating it a lot more. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you can see why we kept harping on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We did it for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, there's so many things to talk about, I guess, I guess what I focused on even more this time around was like the format of Mm -hmm. the story, which I think is, is so well done. Like, so, I mean, it really begins where it's not even with Dr. Frankenstein right off the bat. We're getting these letters from Robert Walton, who's kind of the seafarer explorer, um, to his sister, and he's just talking about his boy. He wants to go to the North Pole and he's and and it. the thing is, is I don't feel like it drags at all. I think even his no. story is just interesting, you know, like mm-hmm. he he's an interesting character right off the bat. And so there's all these letters to his sister and talking about how he gets on the ship to the North Pole and the departure and why he's going. And I think it sets up this tone like, I mean, the whole thing with Dr. Frankenstein with Victor is he's. I mean, I don't think he's just this mad scientist. I think he's this representation of most men Mm -hmm. and most men of this time. And I mean specifically men, not just like humankind of this idea of, of exploring and creating and this new, new worlds and new things. And especially men of a certain like stature and means 
how far can I take that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I've got a name, I have money, I have the means, I'm going to go spread it around. I'm going to go explore. And, you know, there were just, there was that boom of it, of people wanting to explore and put their name on things and be the first to discover this. And a lot of it was white men of means. And so I think he's this good representation right off the bat of Victor Frankenstein was not alone. He wasn't this single mad scientist. He had, they all kind of had this interest in alchemy. It's just what form did that take, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and so I think just this character is a great way to set the tone to that. And once again, he's writing back home to his sister who's, who's still home, Mm -hmm. you know, but yet she's the one that he's confessing to and his confident and his, uh, you know, who he, even though they can't talk, and have these conversations like they kind of are through their letters and he's wanting advice. And so it's just the roles I think of men and women and are set right off the bat. And I think that's an important part of the story. Yeah, Um, I do. I agree with you. And I think she's so clever in the way that she does mm -hmm. it because she's not, she's not yelling at the reader that there's a problem here with the fact that these men are just like kind of having these um, very single-minded kind of ventures and goals. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not really thinking about the people at home or about the women in their life. They just have their own goals that they're going for. And she's not yelling at us that mm, there's a problem that Mrs. Seville yeah, like, left at home. Yeah, maybe this isn't such a great idea. Yeah, or there's yeah. not a problem that, you know, Victor is going everywhere around the world and Elizabeth is just stuck at home literally waiting for him to marry her because she can't really marry anybody else because she's been promised to him for years and years and years. And yep. she's not telling us that there's a problem. But at the same time, there's like this very clear like inequality. And um, I think it's just so clever the way she does it where I feel like I can't help. And I think other people, men alike also, wouldn't be able to help but kind of feel bad for these like women that are just kind of like left at home and they don't really have a choice. But then these men that they're attached to in their life like are just out and about and just living these grand adventures often to, you know, some like problematic ends. Yep. And I mean, his and his story is a good parallel to Frankenstein. You know, I mean, Walton's talking about how he doesn't have any friends and he's lonely because heaven forbid you find friends in those of a lesser class than you, Mm -hmm. like all of those other men on the ship. But, you know, they're not not qualified anyway. um, And so then he is so excited (laughs) when they find Victor Frankenstein on an ice float. They're trapped in between these two ice floats and they had seen the monster. I mean, you don't know it at the time necessarily, but you see they had seen the monster from a distance um, on a dog sled. And then you see they see this other one and it's Dr. Frankenstein, who's emaciated and almost dying and they rescue him. And now he's so excited to like, have this highly educated friend as well to speak to. Like he's not lonely anymore. And it's just this interesting idea of, you know, loneliness and, Mm. and not really seeing what's really around you. Um, And so kind of creating your own world. And I I don't know. I mean, it's not that it's all bad. I feel like I'm just ragging on them as characters now, but just these interesting parallels that we don't really learn from. Well, it's just, you know, you know, it's, it's a, you can't really blame them for taking advantage of their privilege at the time. Sure. But the problem is that the privilege is there to begin with. So it's not even like it's, I mean, Victor, I have a harder time uh, empathizing with than I do Robert Walton, but like with Robert, it's like, okay, like, well, first off, he's mostly self-educated. Um, doesn't seem to come from like a huge amount of privilege, like certainly more privilege than other people in the world. But, um, comparably, I think like he, he's had to work a little harder for certain things. So it's, it's, it's not even that, you know, they're, they're going on the journey is not bad. I think what's bad is like the single minded nature of the journey. And I yeah, think, and I think that's yeah, and, and maybe we'll get into this in the next episode. But I think like Robert Walton is able to kind of maybe escape the same fate as Victor Frankenstein is a little bit. 
Well, and I, I think that ties back to the framework of it, like how she's even framing this, you know, so it's like this narrative within a narrative and there's even a couple more narratives within it. That's it goes along with this idea of oral tradition, right? Which mm-hmm. kind of goes along with how she even started the story. We're telling ghost stories around a fire. Let's mm-hmm. see who can come up with the best one. And oral tradition and the telling of stories, while of course there's entertainment there, it was also to teach and to learn. And it's like you listen to these stories to learn things. And so hopefully Walton learns from yes. Victor's story. And so I think that's part of why the framework is so important because it's showing how um how powerful stories and that oral tradition and communication like all of that is and so i think she and i just love those kind of novels anyway i love the like you know russian nesting doll of a story Mm -hmm. where there's a story within a story within a story within a story and they're all tied together and so i think she really just sets it up great and really kind of pays homage to why she started writing this which is interesting to me so Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's just a great it's a great framework. You could tell the story without any of it, but it's just so much better because of it. Yeah. Well, and it's fun too, like, especially if, if it's, you know, if you've never read the novel before and your only introduction to the story is, you know, from the movies or from, you know, pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, this is such a fun introduction to it because it's completely unexpected. Um, as far yeah. as I know, there's not a single movie that shows or contains the character of Robert Walton or really like includes this venture up north into you know the arctic yeah at all and um so this is just like a fun surprising thing where even if you think that you're you know really familiar with the story the story actually contains like so much more than you even think and it is there for a reason i think especially when you're thinking about robert walton and and these like feelings of of um loneliness and um you know this this lack of like human companionship even though he is surrounded by people um that he works with I think it's interesting to be introduced to those themes so early on in the novel and then experience them later when we meet the creature and the feelings that the creature experiences in its life and um I just I think it's important to, you know, kind of be introduced to some of these themes, um, which I think Robert Walton kind of like experiences similar things to both the creature and to Victor Frankenstein that you kind of like empathize with him greatly um, in those ways. And then you kind of have to to see how far that empathy extends when the same issues are kind of extended to these other characters later in the book. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well said. Um, I also really think the framework is really good because I actually think I remember. I don't remember if this was a discussion I've had before or I read it, but I've had the discussion where it's like the female characters are super passive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually love how the female characters are written in this novel. I don't think they're passive. I think what's interesting is that usually who is talking about them, how we're learning about them is from a male voice. So like yeah. most of what we learn, say about Justine and Elizabeth and even like Victor's mom is all from Victor. Mm. And so how they're described, same with Walton, it, hearing them talk about these women yes they do come off as very passive maybe inconsequential figures they're just there to serve a purpose but I think that if you kind of like there's some things Elizabeth says or how she talks to Victor Mm -hmm. same with Walton's sister where I don't think I think they're great characters I think it's it's highlighted that it's how the men see them that makes them come across that way if that makes sense which I think is really sophisticated of of how they're written you know, it's, yeah. it's pointing out. And so I think that you could say, yeah, w- the women are passive for one. They, they were like, they couldn't take active roles. So that's not about them though, as people. And I think that, you know, you, you're always reminded that this is Victor talking or, you know, Walton talking. And so it, it they're not necessarily reliable narrators yes. in all senses. That's the best thing. That's one of the best things about literature is paying attention to who is the narrator and how does this adjust the story is what I love about fiction is that that in and of itself is part of the story. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, and so I, I really like that format of it too. And I, I think the fact that you're getting it from Walton's letters and then from Victor telling a story to Walton just adds all those elements because they're the ones that are painting these pictures of the women in their lives. And then also, you know, how he talks about the monster, you know, yes. is very different from when we get the monster's own words. Yes. That um, are also then repeated from Victor. Like it's just, yeah. it's, it's so intricate. It is very intricate. And I think, I think, you know, um, even, even like, I mean, the main female characters that we really get, I mean, Elizabeth is obviously the main, the main one that we are introduced to. But I think, I think that one of the best ways to read the novel, which there are a million and one ways to read this novel, I think. Um, but it's, I frankly, I think that the creature is there to represent the female experience um, at the time in a lot of ways. And it's more, I think, palatable for readers in the age of 1818 to read about these feelings of these frustrations from the perspective of this, this like male assigned ambiguous creature um, than it is sometimes even for them to like if it had been a female character having these same problems and expressing these same feelings. Um, One thing that, you know, the creature feels like so frustrated by is, well, I mean, I don't even know if I should get into it right away, but when they, when they talk about, um, they kind of have like their back and forth when the creature comes back and talks to him and before he, right before he asks him to, to build himself a companion, but he shows like this, these frustrations with, um, the, the fact that he's having to like experience this world and without support and is like anguishing for just like the, the right to be treated equally and the right to just experience the world like other men experience the world and the right to go somewhere, the right to be, to be able to f- look at somebody and to be treated the same, the, the right to be, um, to be able to, to get a formal education even, you know, and it's the stuff that he just kind of continues and, and truthfully, like patiently asks for a lot of the time, um, is just to be kind of seen as a human, as an equal and it's just continually kind of denied. And then, you know, in, in reaction, the creature's behavior kind of escalates at this constant rejection. And to me, I'm like, I just don't think that that is really that different from the experiences of like a- the average women at this time. It's this, this, you know, this weird kind of balance of being in society, but also, you know, you keep asking for things, you keep asking for equal rights, you keep asking for like a formal education, you ask for rights to travel, you, you ask for, um, any kind of like legal right at, to just be a human in the same well, to be judged by who you are as a person, yes. not by your sex or not by what you look like. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is. It's a, it's a simple request. It's a simple theme. And yeah, the monster is a great um, representation of that struggle for, for women and for, you know, anybody marginalized people. Yeah. Like yeah. any really marginalized yeah. people. And also just like the, the anguish and the things that can come out of being continually denied very simple requests, honestly. You know, like the the creature um, doesn't ask for much. First off, he doesn't ask for anything when he's created. But his first introduction to the world is rejection. And, yeah. you know, and then he kind of goes about life tentatively. He learns by observing this household that lives in a cottage and you know, he feels like he really gets them as like people and like thinks that they might be safe, a safe space for him to exist. And it is at first when he's, you know, introduced to the blind man. The in blind the cottage. man. Yeah. <laughs> so if yeah. somebody doesn't see him, if they're just hearing his words and his thoughts, then OK, like, yeah, we get you. Um, but as soon as they kind of like see who he is and, and what he looks like and how he compares to the people he's around, then it's instant horror and more rejection. And yeah. um, 
I think this book is is interesting because it kind of shows, you know, these escalating things that continue to happen. That yes, that does the creature do monstrous things? Sure, but can you really blame someone after asking patiently and politely for things um, to well, react? Well, what's more monstrous? I mean, it, it's equally as monstrous. One could, and many do, argue that you know Victor Frankenstein creates this being and then you know ab- abandons yeah. it more than one I mean that's equally as monstrous well and multiple times right like he says you know when the when the creature is kind of trying to convince him to give him um just companionship you know he's like I'll leave humanity behind I will leave you behind I will go exist in nature where I feel safe and comfortable um just give me somebody to do this with that is my equal that won't judge yeah, me. Yeah, we'll disappear. They're like, we'll go to South America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you'll never have to think about us again. And, you know, Victor, like, agrees. He goes back and forth between, like, oh, I'm very, like, deeply touched by this creature's story. And then he's like, oh, no, he's a monster. And this kind yeah. of this frustrating, like, back and forth, I think, um, is a great example of, I think, the many, many times and the many promises that people in power have given to people who have been underserved by society um, and then the way that they pulled away. Whether that's like through promising women that they'll get the vote next election cycle, you know, or um, that they'll, they'll support them in getting some sort of legal rights or... Um, you won't have to publish that book under a pseudonym. We'll believe that it was you and not your husband. Right. Um, and then immediately like kind of just assuming it was the genius of their, their counterpart is it, or, you know, it's it, like even expanding even more on that. It's, it's the many underserved people in the world that have been promised things by government. Like, you know, you could look to like native Americans getting promised things by treaties and then those treaties not being upheld and them being, you promised things and then denied those things repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And you can't, I can't anyway, really assign much blame towards a creature in the frustration and kind of the violence that ensues because first off, he's never really been taught what's okay because he was abandoned. So he's yep. getting all of his information from the fact that he's self-taught himself to read and then his whole introduction into the world is like paradise lost, which is yeah. just like his whole worldview is structured by the creation story from the Bible. That's a pretty like fucked up worldview. And yeah, um, pretty harsh, pretty harsh. And, you know, and then also just the fact that he's so smart as a, this creature is so intelligent. He's well read than I am. And he still is just not treated like, what else could this guy do besides, you know, look like a normal person to be treated well, like normal? And, and I think it's incredibly monstrous of Frankenstein. So his younger brother is murdered mm-hmm. and he's like, OK, he just before he even returns to Geneva, he like believes that his creation is responsible. But yet even though he's horrified by all of this, he lets an innocent girl be convicted and put to death over it. Mm -hmm. And yes, poor Victor, he's just distraught over the whole thing and ill over it. And, and he commiserates with Elizabeth who again is intelligent enough to realize this doesn't seem, this doesn't make sense, puts her faith somewhat in the judicial system. It doesn't work. And like, there's all these instances where, I mean, I, I guess you could argue what could he do or not do, but regardless, he's more concerned about like separating himself from this creature mm-hmm. that he brought to life because he's horrified by it. So he's, it's less about taking responsibility and accountability. And like, that's horrific. It's awful to do that to another being to not, take responsibility for your own issues for your own self intentionally. Yes. And, and he does that in such an exaggerated way, obviously in the story, but I think it's, that's a valid monstrous thing to do. And so it is, it's interesting that like they always put the name Frankenstein with the monster. There's this erroneous mistake when really 
Victor Frankenstein, you could argue, is more of the monster of which, the story which in is, a lot of ways. It, he is, and it, which is why it's kind of so funny to me how in pop culture the name's been switched. Where people, yeah, when they think like, it's of the Frank, when the people think Frankenstein, they think the monster, but they they monster. don't know that they're referencing Victor. Um, Victor, but it's so funny because I think he is truly like one of the biggest monsters, or is the monster of the tale, and and you know it's one thing too. It's like and that I think is different with this version than the eighteen thirty one is that in the eighteen thirty one Victor's problem is that he's like playing with God, like playing with God's work or whatever. But with this one, it's more, again, the way he handled it, the abandonment of his creations, which is a pretty Mm -hmm. common, um, I think, critique of like religion and the issue with, okay, well, if God did this, then why are all these bad things happening? Why has he abandoned his flock? Um, Why, why would he do this and like that's that's a huge problem that people have with like the issue of God and um with creation and I think that that is interesting here it's not the creation that's the problem necessarily it's what happened with it and I I think also too like the arrogance of um his reason for the creation as well is kind of weird he doesn't really have one other than yeah First off, interest, he, interest, yeah. and and you know, and him getting becoming like obsessed with weird yeah. old. Ever since he was little, like with the, uh, electricity and alchemy, and then like almost like it's. I feel like he has this obsession with being like a new vanguard for like science in a way. Like mm-hmm. he he thinks it's like after he I think his father explains to him how electricity works when they see like a lightning like lightning strike a tree mm-hmm. and so then he goes to school right and he learns uh, almost like okay these uh, the old guards of alchemy and that kind of thing it's it's not real it's like yeah are you okay okay so sadie has a haunted apartment one second she Pause. just like looked up we're gonna cut this out brian brian huh? what are you doing I can just hear you on the recording. Well, I've been able to hear you. For, I've been able to hear you for like a while. Stop breathing. Just can you just not move things around? Can you just not breathe, Brian? Sorry. Shit, I don't know if we should cut this out. This is hilarious. Stop breathing, Brian. I could just hear. Yeah, I've been able to hear him for You'll like a while, it. like do things and clickety clacking. And it's just I can't wait to be in a house where we're not having to worry about this. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. I mean, I already texted you. But Sadie, did you close on it? We or you're in contract. We have not closed. We're under contract. We had the inspection under contract. We had the inspection so on Wednesday. You. Thank you. It is very exciting. Um. Everything overall went very well with the contract, the with the the inspection. It's a very well ma- like maintained home. The only thing is, which is expected in this kind of situation, is that it's um it's an estate, so the sellers like they're like kids that have no idea what has gone on in their parents' house for you know mm. the time since it was built really. And so the house has really old, like, knob and tube wiring, which, like, you cannot really get home insurance if you have that. Mm. So, so you're going to replace that? We're going to try to get them to pay to replace that. And then also in Massachusetts, it's so weird. Um, heating systems are so different out here. Um, like, for a long time, most house- houses were he- heated by, like, underground oil tanks. Mm. And um, there's evidence that at one point there was an underground oil tank for the house and it's illegal to have an abandoned oil tank. So we they'll need to find some sort of record that it's been removed or they'll need to do some sort of survey to see if it's still there and if they can't find record of removal. And if it's still there, then they'll need to remove it, which is a really big task. And yeah. it would dig up the yeah. yard, basically. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, in all likelihood, it's probably not there anymore. Um, it was most likely removed. 
but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully we close in like the next month or so because we love the house. So excited for you. It is. Yeah, that's awesome. It is really exciting. I'm very, very excited about it. Well, everyone send your good vibes for good, easy closing Sadie's way so she can get a house and not have to listen to Brian breathe while we try to record because I know I'm so telling you, I'm lucky in my little studio. So I, I feel I feel for you. I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> well, I feel for him, too. The fact that I tell him he can't make any oh, sudden yeah. movements for like oh. an hour and a half while we talk. Especially when we go off on tangents like we're doing right now. Like we're not even talking about the book right now. And Brian has to be quiet because yeah. we you just can't move. Yeah. You can't breathe. Brian. Nope. nope. Um, all right. Well, um, I don't know where we're but just how Victor Frankenstein is monstrous. I mean, it, in his own way. It, he just seems it, bored. Yeah, a, right. Like it's like it's just like he's just a bored, privileged well, person. Uh, and I think he's just more obsessed with his own. I mean, I think he is not a bad person. I don't think he has ill intentions. I think he is all about betterment, but I think he's so short sighted in what is betterment and what is a good human being and what is a good create. You know what I mean? Like he just has a very black and white view. Yeah. And it's a very privileged view and so you know in how he treats other people and how he treats the monster and how yeah he's just he's very short-sighted and yet he he has all this interest in knowledge and exploration and um creation but yet he's just so narrow-minded that he doesn't see yeah i I, in front of his face you know what i really wish i wish we could insert an audio clip from jurassic park where Jeff Goldblum says, oh, um, we were too Jeff Goldblum. We were too busy thinking about whether or not we could and not whether or not we, we should. should. Yes. <laughs> oh, maybe Kendra can insert that for us. That would be you have to pay for that stuff. I don't know. No, how it's works. too small of a it's too small of a blip that you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to pay for it. Oh, it, good to know. It's like if it's over like I think twenty five seconds, you have to ask or get rights or something to certain things. But if it's under a certain amount, you don't have to pay for it. That is fascinating. Look at you. Yeah, it's good. Just good a wealth. It's good knowledge. You're, yeah, your own wealth of knowledge. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a. I mean, so how so we get through. So chapter uh, volume two ends with he's so he's come he's come across his creation the monster and the monster tells his story which is so interesting and he's so he's so eloquent um and and sensitive and intelligent and it it really is i think a fascinating uh, monologue that he gives about you know and i love where he talks about seeing his reflection in a pool and and that he's horrified by it and sees why you know other like why humans are horrified and but he just even knowing that he wants to continue to connect like i think this novel also speaks to like our deep 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 need to connect and like you know that we're not i i at least truly believe we are not solitary creatures we're not meant to be solitary creatures we're i I know that there's different there's different types of us and that's the best thing but i think we all just have this deep need to connect i mean that's nothing groundbreaking that I'm saying everyone thinks that but I think this novel is a great way to talk about that and I think it's what's part of what makes it this like ghost story horror story in a true sense of it is like you get all of these elements of of connection and family and love and how important they are to people you get it from Victor you know he 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 talks a lot about how happy his family was and Mm -hmm. the love with him and Elizabeth and his father and his younger brother and so that's the thing. There's all these like great things that we all have that's like at, at their fingertips. And then there's this poor monster who just wants that connection. Yeah. And so that's the horror of it. That like, of course, that's what's going to end for Victor. Of course, he's going to lose every person that's valuable to him because, he, you know, this poor creature wants that, too. So it's like that's what's the horror part of it. Like, that's my greatest fear is losing my family. Yeah. Um, and I think that the novel sets it up so well, like you just see it happening. Well, like, you see it happening. They're so happy. It's slowly, gonna... right. And, the, and well, and he even like warns him that might be in the, the next section, but he even tells him like, 
listen, like you just have to give me this thing or I will do this and I'm yeah, capable. I'll of, be with you on your wedding night. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is terrifying. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it's it, the horrifying idea of losing your family, but also the horrifying idea of like never having one to begin um, with. Exactly. And going, exactly. going so well through said. like the trauma of existence because it is traumatic um, in a lot of ways. It's it's great. I mean, the 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 gift of experience is fantastic. You know, the senses yes. are fantastic. It's the best part of living. life. Is is amazing and terrible all at the yeah. same time. And to do it to do it alone is really really scary. So it's like no matter who you identify with, yeah, whether it's Victor or with the monster, it's a horror story. And I think that's what's so awesome about it is it's like. It's scary all the way around in the true sense of scary, not like slasher flick, mm-hmm. not it's not a fact that he's a monster. It's that idea of being alone and losing either not having it at all, losing the hope. You know, I think that's the scariest part. Like that's the horror for him is he loses the hope of of having companionship. I think that the hope is still there when he and Victor meet again and he mm-hmm. gives him his story and uh, yeah it's a it is in the and i think having read this again and and like having more of that feeling more more connected to people now than i did when i was younger just because when you're younger you just really care about yourself yeah um you know it's the idea of losing people that are important to you is is a really scary thing and especially with the more you live in life, you see how many instances there are that that can happen and how hard it is. And so it definitely connects with you. It's like, oh man, just give him a partner. Like, yeah, seriously. Yes. Like, I guess. And again, we can talk about it in the next episode of what goes on with that. But yeah, it's the, the novel is so set up as a truly scary novel in like a real life scary, even though I, I know it's kind of billed as like the first science fiction, but that's what that's great about science fiction. We talked about this with left hand of darkness of how, it's science fiction, but it's more real. Well, like than most science nonfiction in so many ways. Well, yeah. What did what did Ursula K. Le Guin say? She said that you know science fiction isn't supposed to be telling us really about the future at all. It's supposed to be talking to us about the present, and um, and I think this novel does that. I think it. I think it. Whether you're reading it through like a, a feminist lens of the creatures' experiences being those of like the underserved in society, or if you're just reading it at like even it's kind of like most basic thing, um, these horrors or these the, the most terrifying things that happen in the book are are things that I think anybody can feel um, empathetic to, and also the idea of our mistakes kind of like haunting us you know, Mm -hmm. on and on and on of not being able to like escape some of our biggest mistakes. I think that's a very like relatable theme. Um, I also just like cannot get over (laughs) how well this book is written um, and how beautiful Mm -hmm. the language is and flowery. Some might say, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, inside joke. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But also like, I mean, it's just, it's stunning. And it's so impressive when you think about this, the fact that this was written by a woman who was very young. She started writing this at least at 16. Um, It was published a couple years later, I think. But also, um, you know, this is, this is, you know, Mary Shelley was lucky where she was very lucky in the sense she had educated parents who taught her the importance yes. of reading, but she, it's not like she went to college at this point, you know, she didn't have a scientific, uh, upbringing or education. And yet the science in this book, the way she writes it still really mm-hmm. stands up to time in a lot of ways. And I'm not yeah. talking about like the reanimation of corpses. No, I'm talking about but... like the nature writing, the way that she writes, even about the senses, um, like chapter three in volume two is so good. It's, it's part of the, the creature's, um, you know, kind of like grant monologue and explanation for his life. And this, this part where he talks about what being created was like, which is so fascinating to hear her write about because it's something none of us can ever remember. It's something we all experienced, but we can't remember. And the way that she writes it as somebody who's like aware, um, 
is really interesting where, so I'll just, I'll just read it. It is with considerable difficulty that I remember the original era of my being. All the events of that period appear confused and indistinct. A strange multiplicity of sensations seized me, and I saw, felt, heard, and smelt at the same time, and it was indeed a long time before I learned to distinguish between the operations of my various senses. By degrees, I remember, a stronger light pressed upon my nerves, so that I was obliged to shut my eyes. Darkness then came over me and troubled me, but hardly had I felt this when by opening my eyes, as I now suppose, the light poured in upon me again. I walked and I believe descended, but I presently found a great alteration in my senses. Before, dark and opaque bodies had surrounded me, impervious to my touch or sight, but I now found that I could n- that I could wander on at liberty, with no obstacles which I could not either surmount or avoid. The light became more and more oppressive to me, and the heat wearing me as I walked. I sought a place where I could receive shade. This was the forest near Ingolstadt, where I lay by the side of the brook, resting from my fatigue until I felt tormented by hunger and thirst. This roused me from my normally dormant state, and I ate some berries which I found hanging on the trees or lying on the ground. I slaked my thirst at the brook, and then lying down was overcome by sleep. And it just kind of continues on about with him, you know, kind of figuring out what all these senses are and what they mean and how they kind of come into him in different um sections and periods until he's finally kind of able to understand everything he's experiencing at any given moment. And I just think it's such a brilliant thing to write because we never think about this of like what it would be like to experience the senses and like the feeling of existence as an adult for the first time ever. Because this is just all we we know. It's Yeah. Well, I mean, even now it's like it's hard to think about it's hard to teach some things. Oh, I bet. So it's yeah. really hard to write. Like, how do you, like, like the other day I was trying to teach the kids how to drink water out of a drinking fountain, mm-hmm. which sounds really, but it's like, how, I mean, there's just so many things that we do and yeah. And she just writes them so well. And yeah. And, and in a very sensitive way, like details are important. You know what I mean? Yes. Like she doesn't, she, I don't, I don't think she's too superfluous with her writing. I think that she um, is very careful with it in her description. Like we've had this talk before, was when we're doing where I sometimes mm-hmm. like, oh, it's what did we just read um, before this? And I said that I liked oh, it. Oh, it was something wicked this way comes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, where I almost got a little too, it was a little too much with me with some of the description, and this I never feel this way at all because I feel like it's all just so important and so well done and it's it really carries you like she's she's great I mean it's a it's a very beautiful horror story it is (laughs) it is and you know what like you said it's very every aspect is important is important um every sentence I think is important in this book and it's a short book. I mean, my my edition is only 191 pages. So yeah. uh, d- depending on which edition you get, like you'll, yours will be shorter or longer by maybe 20 some odd pages. But um, it is a short book. But at the same time, again, like every sentence is important. And um, I think we'll talk about it more in the next episode but just the way the the attention that she pays to characters and also their environments um is important to the the overarching story that i just think it's it's an unbelievable thing to read and just makes me feel like generally pretty inadequate as a human that like oh man what did i do by the age of 18 like made out with some boys on spirit bridge and graduated high school. That's like pretty much my accomplishments at the time. Well, now we've started a podcast, Sadie. So we're good. Yeah. We're on the same level for sure. Yeah, (laughs) totally. We're right up there. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's just so good. It's so well done. And, um, you know, I think I'm really glad we picked this one. I'm glad I reread it. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely good. I really hope you guys can go pick up a copy and read it or get started. Yeah, if on we it. haven't convinced you by now, I don't know what will because we're just in love with this book. 
it's a great story. It's great. And I'm excited to talk about the second half of it. Me too. Um, so we've left off where the monster and Dr. Frankenstein have met up again. Doc, uh, the monster has given him, here's everything that happened to me. Um, he's asked him to make him a companion mm-hmm. and Victor is kind of waffling on it. Um, but he, I think he leaves with saying, yes, I will. He does. Yeah. Yeah. He leaves. So we've, that's where we're ending this one. So he has committed to making a companion for the monster to help abate his loneliness. The monster has promised that he will cause no more harm. He will disappear to South America with his monster <laughs> love. Um, and all will be well. So, and, but you know, it's a horror show, horror book. So I think you can kind of count on that. That's not what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, just, uh, don't forget to pick this up if you want to, but also the one thing that we're going to be doing after we're done with talking about Frankenstein is the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And I'm sure that in our discussion of that, it will lead us right back to Frankenstein in certain ways, but, um, definitely go read it. It is fantastic work, poetry and, it, it's, it is, again, I will say, one of the first, if not the first, um, poem in English lit that contained, you know, aspects of the supernatural and um, yeah. depictions of, go, of nature as kind of a character. It's, it's very, very good. Yeah, I agree. Good choice. Well, thanks, everybody. Hope you um, have been enjoying Frankenstein. And if you haven't read it, shame on you. Go pick up a copy. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.